You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Association podcast recorded live every Tuesday at eight o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. My name is Matt Phillips, creator of Run Chat Live. For those of you who don't recognize my voice, and um, we are this month, our focus is on nutrition. Last month, the focus was on abdomen and groin issues. So we choose a topic every month to give it a larger shelf life so we can talk about it and look forward to future guests. And like I say, this month is all about nutrition. Very shortly, um, in part one called Eating Disorders, we'll be talking to my special guest, Nick Pollard, Director of Family Mental Wealth and co-author of the Oxford Specialist Handbook on Eating Disorders. But before we do that, I would like to say thank you to our guests in last week's episode, as it was the first of the month. And as always, we start off the month with an Ask Us Anything episode, which is where members from the STA and some of the STA team come and join us in the live lounge and answer questions which have been sent in to me personally. Um, the address, if you want to send questions in, is matt at the STA.co.uk. Um, and sometimes there are questions which we take from Facebook. Anyway, we can find them. And the questions are anything to do with the soft tissue therapy industry. Um, last week, which you can listen to this episode, it's episode uh, 151. It's available on all popular podcast apps. And if you want to watch the video, then you can watch it obviously on YouTube and also at the sta.co.uk. Uh, we were joined by Danielle Peters, um, STA member, director of the Body Health Gatwick. Also, Nikki Mansfield, Director of Mansfield Massage and Movement. We're also joined by Scott Loins, who is Director of SL Sports Therapy. Tim Allardyce was here, founder of Rehab My Patient. And also Gary Benson, founder of the Sports Therapy Association, was here. And we had a great chat. It was very much a very functional, clinic-based chat uh, with topics which included advice for online software with regards to taking clinic notes, taking bookings, advice on different types of payment card um, machines. Um, we talked about a question which is about what words should you and shouldn't you use on your website, which is really interesting, and also about hashtags uh, and some of the legal implications of using hashtags in your posts, like if you put physiotherapy and you're not a physiotherapist and people are cracking down on things like this. So a really useful episode, as always, I like to say, um, for anybody who's a soft tissue therapist, and you can catch up with that on all popular podcasts apps like i say we record this live so if you are listening to the podcast you're welcome to do that people are already in our live lounge and if you do join us live then um, i can bring your question up onto the screen obviously you can ask my guest questions directly for example glenn murphy is here at the moment i brought his message up and it says hey good evening all are we all sunburned a little bit moving around a tiny bit on my chair as we speak um soma sports therapy penny is here hey penny how are you doing thanks for joining us um, Gary Benson, founder of the STA, is here as well. If you do have any questions, um, then feel free to chat amongst yourselves um, in the uh, live um, lounge if you wish. Tracy Taylor is here. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining us. Sabrina Mon Monaghan is in here as well. And people are still coming to the door. So fantastic. Thank you for joining us, people who do join us live. It's, it makes it all the better uh, because we do this live. We love the spontaneity um, and, yeah, gives it a little unique touch. So anyway, like I say, tonight um, we are very excited to start a whole month to do with nutrition. Um, and this is going to be the topic for part one is eating disorders. So I think everything is in place. So I shall now bring up our guest, who, like I say, is Nick Pollard, Director of Family Mental Wealth and author or co-author, I should say, of the Oxford Specialist Handbook on Eating Disorders. Let's bring Nick up. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey Nick, how are you doing? Hi Matt, I'm doing great, thank you. Really enjoying life. Busy, but it's good to be busy. Well, this is good. That's a lovely way to start the show. Um, <laughs> we were chatting off air because these days, especially with COVID and people worrying about their background, the background you've got, I'm sure people can get that on Zoom. But in your case, they really are four shelves <laughs> of literature and books. And it goes so, down a <laughs> long way each way. Yeah, my my wife keeps telling me to stop buying books, but uh, I'm a book man. 
fantastic well we, we like that we like our guests to be learned and well and well read so fantastic thank you so much for joining us um, talking of books, like I said, co-author, not your only book, is it? A little bit of research myself. You've written a few no, other things and produced. I've, I've written 13 books, actually, over my life. Okay. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I enjoy writing. Um, but but what the Oxford Specialist Handbook is a medical textbook. And so that was done, co-authored with uh, – Professor Janet Treasure, who's a world authority on eating disorders with a lifetime's experience in specialist care. And uh, Dr. Elizabeth McNaught, who's a doctor working in general practice, who has lived experience of an eating disorder in her teenage years um, and is also my daughter. Um, my background uh, is in psychology back in the 1970s. Um, uh, you're now thinking how old I am. I should have retired several years ago. But anyway, um, back in the 1970s, I was doing postgraduate research for a PhD in psychology, anticipating a academic career in, in psychology. But I started a couple of social enterprises that kind of took over my life. My wife was a chemistry teacher. She gave up to come and work with me. We worked together for 45 years. We've worked together. Uh, uh, founding and building social enterprises. And we were winding our lives down. And then our daughter suggested, um, uh, you know, why don't we start a social enterprise to help families build their uh, their mental health and well-being? And um, I could tell you some of her background and history, uh, but it, it basically it's, it's um, about using evidence-based, clinically sound um, self-help facilitated by one's family um, and and of course there are many different types of families um, and for many of us you know we think of you know we talk about the scouting th family or the the school family or the sports family or the church family different communities so it's really about helping other people who are in our life to help us develop our mental health and well-being um, and although our personal story is about eating disorders with my daughter's lived experience of that uh, family mental wealth addresses all sorts of uh, issues uh, related uh, all sorts of mental health issues particularly of concern uh, to families in terms of their children and young people so anxiety depression OCD self-harm as well as uh, eating disorders. And we have some wonderful collaborations with centres of excellence, um, uh, clinical and academic, so South London and Maudsley NHS, um, Southern Health NHS, uh, School of Psychology at Southampton University, Sussex University, the list goes on. So some wonderful people that we get to, to work with. I'm curious, um, and I just put up for those of this podcast, you, you missed it because it's the podcast, but um, if you go to YouTube, then we, we will be using some screen shares and some videos tonight. You should be able to hear the audio. But if you do think, oh, what are they talking about or what just came up on the screen, then you can always come to YouTube and, and have a look at the video. But I just put up um, a screenshot of the website, um, which um, is definitely worth um, checking out. There's a lot of information on there. Um, and again, it's, there seems to be a, a trait, even talking to you for the first five minutes um you're definitely a, a wordsmith and and family mental wealth obviously is a very clever play there was that your idea i think I'm probably um, yeah it, that. Uh, it just kind of came up in the family really so um we we want to always phrase when people talk about mental health so often it's talked in a negative sense mm -hmm. people talk about mental illness whereas actually we want to talk about mental health and well-being so wealth is a kind of cross of health and uh, and well-being um but also you know there are lots of people who help families with their various forms of wealth you know so um uh, bankers and investment companies help with financial health uh, financial wealth and uh, uh, estate agents and uh, surveyors help with property wealth and you know we have different things. But, but who's helping us with our our mental wealth to to build mentally healthy lives and particularly to help children and young people but what's interesting Matt is that we set out to create resources 
primarily for parents and carers supporting their children and young people. But what we find is a lot of other people, people in their 20s and 30s are saying, actually, these will help us Mm -hmm. and their other community around them, their group of friends, uh, uh, maybe, you know, family to them and, and can help them and support them. So you mentioned that it's your daughter, co-author of the book, Dr. Elizabeth McNaught. Um, so can tell us a little bit about that, because that obviously was a big factor in you getting together and thinking, let's share some of the experiences. Was it tricky sharing some of those experiences? It's been a really difficult it, time for you. It was a very difficult time. And uh, thank you for asking me that, Matt, because people don't normally ask that. Um, the truth <laughs> There'll is... There'll be a lot of that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is... You know, it was an extremely painful period in our lives. And whenever we talk about it, myself or my wife or my daughter, or indeed write about it, um, all the emotions come back. And truthfully, you'd rather kind of, you know, wrap it up, put it in a box, put it in the past and forget about it. But that wouldn't help anybody. So Lizzie is a doctor now working in general practice. But when she was a teenager, she was very ill with anorexia, dangerously had an emergency admission to hospital that literally saved her life with a refeeding program. And then six months in an inpatient unit. And Lizzie will always say that she's forever thankful for the health professionals who helped her. But she says what really made the difference was the family-based self-help. And that was possible because of my background in psychology. I was able to kind of read and understand what was going on in the latest research. And it was the early days of what's now called the New New Maudsley Method for Skills-Based Caring, developed at uh, King's College London and South London and Maudsley NHS, which is one of our core collaborators now. Um, And that's all about providing parents and carers with knowledge and skills to facilitate family-based self-help. Now, clinicians will always, quite rightly, uh, follow the NICE guidelines, the guidelines from the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. And um, certainly for most mental ill health, um, the NICE guidelines recommend um, self-help as a first-line treatment, certainly for early intervention, for Uh, mild to moderate. When we talk about mental health, we talk about mild, moderate, and severe. So our daughter was severely unwell. Most people are at the kind of early stages uh, or or mild uh, and moderate. And self-help is the recommended first-line treatment. But for a young person, or indeed for someone of any age who's going particularly through an eating disorder, which are very secretive, uh, difficult illnesses, following a self-help program on their own is very difficult. So being able to be supported by parents and and carers or or friends uh, is very valuable to them. And so we were able to help Lizzie recover, achieve recovery, get to medical school, qualify as a doctor. And uh, then she said, you know, well, in her role as in general practice, she says every day, you know, a mum or dad will bring in a son or daughter and say, Look, I'm really worried about Johnny or Mary or whatever. They seem to be developing anxiety or depression, OCD, um, uh, an eating disorder. What can you do, doctor? And the reality is, you know, the most that the GP could do is say, well, I'll make a referral to secondary services, to specialists. But, but there's a lot of pressure. There'll be a long waiting list before assessment and then longer before treatment. But what Lizzie says is there's a lot that mum and dad can do now or their friend could do right away if they're given the knowledge and skills and tools to help that uh, help that person. And so what we're about is creating digital tools to uh, uh, enable parents and carers. But then there are other touch points. It's not just parents and carers. There are other touch points like schools, uh, workplaces, and clinicians. And so the book we've written now with Oxford University Press, the Oxford Specialist Handbook on Eating Disorders, and we've created e-learning that goes with it, uh, is really about upskilling uh, all health professionals, um, all 
healthcare professionals and allied health professionals um, to be able to understand and um, uh, support specialist treatment. Amazing. Yes, that's There's the book. screenshot of the book opened up yeah. there on the back cover as well, which gives um, people who are looking at YouTube, gives you a little idea of the contents on the back there as well. Um, it must be really rewarding as well it, for you two to kind of look at each other and think, wow, now after all of that roller coaster, we managed to give something back now and to help other families. That must be a beautiful thing for father and daughter to, to kind of, and, and your wife as well is involved as well. You must forget about your yeah. wife. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is, uh, Matt. It's, 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 it's lovely to to take the 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 pain and struggles that we've been through and be able to help other people because there's a there's an important value in lived experience people who've 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 been through it um but there's that has to be balanced against academic and clinical knowledge because i always say people talk about someone being an expert by experience and what that really means is they're an expert in their own experience they know their own story. So there's a value in lived experience, but it has to be set in the context of the wider research, the academic and clinical research to understand um, what, uh, uh, you know, what leads to the particular illnesses and uh, processes uh, of recovery. Fascinating. Yeah. So, so like you said, you've already mentioned the book came out. I think that was a couple of years ago. No, no, the book ago? came out just a few months ago. Oh, was it? it? Oh, all, oh yeah, gosh. it's all very. Uh, you're right in at the beginning, Matt, which is lovely. So, was the it all published book, in August. No, the book came out in September oh. or August last yeah, year. Last year, yeah. Uh, and then we set about creating this e-learning to oh, go course. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, and the e-learning is only just now really being launched because. I mean, the, the book is a, um, uh, you're seeing the front and back. I'll, sh I'll show yes. you the, the, the middle. Of it. It's a very densely packed, you know, yeah. real, real. There are lots of, lots of published material on eating disorders. But what we've done in this is kind of bring it all together into one textbook uh, that is uh, almost in note form, really. That's the style of Oxford Specialist Handbooks. Mm. Um, and um, so that people can, can dip in and, and out of it and and use it as a, as a reference guide um but we wanted to make the content at least the kind of express checkout version of the content uh available to everybody because all healthcare professionals and allied health professionals will come across people with eating disorders that's just the statistics uh, of it you you will do e each of you uh will do um and i'm interested actually the people who are in the live lounge if, if you have i know i have but i mean i've been in the game for quite a long time but i'm interested if anybody in the live lounge whilst we're continuing talking have, have had patients or clients or what you want to call them come in who have had either diagnosed eating disorders maybe especially if they're athletes i'd be interested to hear or maybe if they've had something you've suspected and then later on it's turned out that they have so feel free to add that to the comments people if you're in there but yes sorry nick you were saying yeah no, that's right. And and you're the first port of call for many people. I, I was talking recently to a um uh a, a sports um massage person uh who said um that uh, she had a, a client uh who she could see that he was losing weight. He was telling her that he was getting uh more and more faint uh on the on the exercise, but driving forward for exercising and she, although she didn't have a great understanding of eating disorders, she could say, you know, it just seems that there's something going on here. And through that rapport and relationship that she built up with him, he was able to disclose that actually, yes, he in fact had the classic signs of a uh, of anorexia nervosa, which is one of um, there are seven different types of eating disorders in the in the clinical uh, books, uh, clinical uh, diagnostic, what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of uh, Mental Disorders, uh, DSM-5, as it's called. There are, there are seven recognized eating disorders, but there are other eating disorder diagnoses that are not yet in the, in, recognized as clinical diagnoses, but they are uh, increasingly being recognized. Orthorexia is probably one that you would uh, come across in your line of work. So um, 
you know, he had the classic signs, actually, you know, a recent rapid weight loss, uh, concern over concern about his body image, uh, excessive and obsessional exercise, uh, and desire to lose weight. And, and these things can take off very quickly, uh, and become very, uh, very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I love the expression you used just before we were it's stuck in my brain, um, where you said about disordered eating leading to uh, tell me a little yeah. more about that That's wonderful. yeah well um in in some of our resources particularly in our parent toolkit which you can, if you go to familymentalwealth.com and then you click on the parent toolkit which is the um the resource for help for providing parents carers and friends with knowledge and skills um and the first part of that is completely free and we've got a, a video there uh that helps people to understand the etiology of mental ill health um, because when you experience um, you know when mental ill health comes into your family or indeed into your own life um, you suddenly think hang on how did we get here I feel like I'm in a jungle without a map how, how did I get here um, and so one of the first things we did in family mental wealth was say okay let's work with some some really really uh, brilliant academic and clinical experts to take their knowledge and distill it down into a very simple map, a very simple framework. So it starts with there are risk factors, uh, risk factors that can predispose developing uh, mental uh, ill health. Um, and then if those risk factors, if you're living with those risk factors and then experience various stressors, things going on it might be exams it might be bullying it might be work pressures family pressures the stressors acting on the risk factors can create or lead to the early symptoms in, in some areas of mental health it's called prodromal um but the the early symptoms and so certainly in eating disorders it that's often referred to as disordered eating it's the early stages of of a in unhealthy, inappropriate relationship with food and with exercise. Um, and if it's not, if they're not helped at that stage and identified at that stage, the, the disordered eating can then turn into an eating disorder, which meets the criteria for, uh, for diagnosis. And the trouble is that then you get in a spiral that the eating disorder produces neurobiological changes, changes actually in the way in which you think and the way in which you, you function, uh, changes in, in what's called interoception, which is the way in which we perceive um, signals in our body. You know, like when someone says to you, how are you? And you say, oh, I, I feel well. You know, you're kind of like... Um, uh, analyzing subconsciously the 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 acidity of your stomach and the tension in your bowel walls and your heart rate and all, all those kind of things now that then could get mucked up how you how you respond to that so you and i might enjoy a really nice meal um you know supposing we had a really nice uh, meal together um and by the way, if you ever take me for dinner, lobster and venison is my favorite. Okay, so I have some lobster and venison. And then after that, I then sit back and I think, oh, my goodness, I feel good. That's interoception. But what happens is once you develop an eating disorder, that interoception process actually changes. That not I feel good, I feel dreadful that I've eaten that. And so if you're experiencing what's called bulimia nervosa, where it's uh, a cycle of binging and purging, that can then drive the person to purge, most commonly through vomiting, but can be through laxatives or uh, stimulants, uh, uh, diuretics, uh, other misuse of, of, of medication. So that it, it then comes into this kind of downward spiral and less effectively treated. So that early uh, intervention is just so important. It's nice people are speaking up now in the live lounge. I've had a couple of people, actually STA members who have done the course are doing the course. Um, Catherine yeah. Reimer has um, added here, I'll bring it up on the screen so people watching on YouTube can read it. Catherine, hey Catherine, how are you doing? Says, I'm halfway through doing the eating disorders online course through the STA. I didn't realize there are so many different categories. It could be common in, good to have awareness 
Um, and she says, oh, in a personal training and sports massage role. Yeah, definitely. So many people coming through the door. Then also yeah. Gary Benson's daughter, a Summer, who a lot of you will know, Gary Benson says, um, my daughter, um, who some of you know and works as a PT in the RAF and coaches adolescent athletes as well as military personnel, has completed some health and well-being courses, which we're going to talk about. So definitely demand out there. Definitely so yeah. much that people on the shop floor, which we're always saying on this podcast, massage therapists are terrible when it comes to imposter syndrome. They're, they're often regarded at the bottom of the chain and, oh, at the bottom of healthcare, we've got massage therapists. But as we were kind of talking a little bit off air, they're probably the first call for so oh. many of these people who are in discomfort and just want an hour to sit down. The empathy you get at most yeah. massage therapists is pretty big because the whole contact, the social grooming and everything, it's, it's beautiful and it, and it can help. I mean, we know there's research which shows it can help with anxiety and depression. So people with these issues will probably be attracted towards some kind of massage just to help them just disconnect and feel better, even if it's only for a short time. So yeah. it really makes sense um that's that we're doing this tonight and that's through the help of your course that people can um take advantage and become a little bit educated not to treat it not to diagnose it not to work outside yeah. the scope just to recognize it and forward and play it your right part yeah, yeah. Play, play your part in identifying recognizing signposting them to uh to help um uh and uh, and then supporting that treatment. I mean, one of our team, we have a wonderful team of people, one of our team, she has um, spent, oh, I think 15 years supporting families of children with eating disorders. And she says the thing that she's heard so often from uh, from the, the families is the lack of knowledge and understanding of eating disorders outside of the very narrow specialist eating disorders community so within that community yes they know a lot about it but there are many other points of contact with a with a person who's experiencing a, a, an eating disorders um a, a, an eating disorder and if they if they could understand the eating disorders and get to understand more about what's going on how the person feels what the the, the journey out of an eating disorder is, then they can support and help rather than, you know, being inappropriate, you know, because unfortunately one, one, one can be inappropriate, no, not, not meaning, uh, not meaning to, um, you know, uh, and I, you know, I can talk about inappropriate things, but I, I'd rather talk positive things. It, it's learning to actually yeah. understand it. The, 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 one of the things that uh, that's, eating disorders are really secretive illnesses, um, and there are different types of eating disorders have a different kind of type of secretiveness about them. So, with anorexia nervosa, for instance, the secretiveness tends to be more in terms of I don't want somebody to stop me because they, the way that Lizzie describes it is it's like the anorexic voice in your head that she describes as being like the worst bully from the playground living in your head, but paradoxically, paradoxically thinking that bully is your friend, is your only friend. And, um, uh, so anorexia nervosa is what, what we call in psychology an egosyntonic illness. That is, there are perceived benefits, not real benefits, but perceived benefits. And people feel, as long as I can have this, I have these rigid rules, and if I keep to these strict rules, then I will be okay. Um, and so someone uh, developing anorexia nervosa will be secretive because they don't want anyone to, to stop it. The typical, you know, uh, the typical response if a clinician, uh, I mean, particularly if a, if a young person's taken along to a GP and a young person's got anorexia nervosa and the GP will say, what's your, what's your problem? Which is a common phrase. They say, the, the typical response is say, nothing. It's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly all right. All these other people are worried about me, but I'm okay. But actually they're not. And helping them to recognize that there's a problem uh, is, is a, is a, a major part of it with other eating disorders like bulimia nervosa where binge purge or binge eating disorder where people eat or a compulsive eating even when excessively full um the 
the secrecy is more about the shame, uh, the shame about it, so that they might, um, uh, you know, not want to admit that, you know, they, that they're that they're making themselves sick, not want to admit that they're binging, uh, binging at all, go to all sorts of lengths to hide it. You know, I, we were talking uh, in all, all the research for the book, talking to somebody with binge eating disorder who would go to three different shops on the way home from work to buy binge food uh, to hide the shame, come back and eat it secretly uh, in, in in the bedroom, in the garden, even in the toilet. Um, so even the binging was secret. But someone with bulimia nervosa, they would binge secretly and then purge secretly so they they might a, a typical sign might be that they've um eaten a meal and then they say oh, i've got to go off to the, uh, have a shower and they'll go off into the bathroom and have a shower running the water to hide the fact that they're actually self-induced vomiting that's going on because they they don't want to admit it and so helping people to recognize that bringing it out into the light is the most important first stage and to know that they are valued they are loved you know i mean you can't talk about loving your clients i'm sure in families you can do but but you can talk about valuing them that they're a, you know yeah. that they are a valuable individual that they don't have to live this way there is a route through they can recover and sometimes you can show that we've, we've had dr gary mendoza on the show quite a few times who's a specialist in motivational interviewing and and showing like empathy doesn't mean that you've actually suffered it in order to help somebody. It's just a lot of it is active listening and just yeah. showing that you're there and reflecting and giving that, not telling that person you've got a problem. I'm going to solve that problem. Just sitting back. And that's how you, that's a version of love, isn't it? Just showing that person. I've got it, ears here. I'm going to use It is. It is. And, and that's interesting that um, uh, in our parent toolkit, uh, we, we, the, some of the skills that we teach for all mental health issues and, and might be useful. There are, in the New Maudsley Method, there are a whole bunch of, of key skills that have been worked out by academics and clinicians. Trouble is, they've also been named by academics and clinicians. Okay. So yeah. their names like supporting self-efficacy and developing discrepancy, which doesn't exactly stick in your mind. But uh, my wife, our, my daughter's mother, my wife, is just brilliant at coming up with things that will stick in your ear. So she's turned them into uh, uh, little phrases. So one of those uh, is, is called um, be curious, not furious. And that's a, a thing. because when you see someone, particularly in a family who's behaving in a particular way, or you might see if you're in a sports team and you've got people who just don't seem to be you know behaving in an appropriate way the natural response is to be furious to be cross with them but instead to be curious to ask open questions to invite them to open up share their experience then you'll find that there's other things going on there's always a reason for someone's behavior you know um and to uh, actually through open questions um inviting them to open up amazing so there's already there's people making a few comments in there who are doing the course and but i'd like to give you a chance now we're past the half hour mark to maybe let us know so we're talking about people who are joining us now if you just switched on the podcast halfway through you've just come into the live lounge we're talking about eating disorders e-learning for health professionals course which is now a course you can do in, in, in small chunks um, and it's based on the book um, co-authored by Nick, um, which is the Oxford Specialist Handbook of Eating Disorders. Um, so, yeah, tell me about the structure of the course and and how therapists can. Um, yeah, um, so the the course is um, it's it's structured around the book. Uh, so the book is in thirteen chapters. So there's thirteen parts, thirteen modules. Uh, each going through those different chapters. So we go through all the different eating disorders to understand anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, PICA, rumination disorder, uh, other specified feeding or eating disorder, and then emerging eating disorder diagnoses that are not uh, recognized uh, uh, as a clinical diagnosis, but are 
increasingly being recognized in clinical practice. So orthorexia, for instance, which typically begins with clean eating, a desire for a healthy lifestyle. So I will cut out certain foods and I will eat clean. Uh, and that can be indeed very healthy. But the trouble is it can become an obsession and, and psychologically, one can become obsessed by it as a, to the extent that it becomes pathological of actually reducing down what one would eat and the food groups to actually be quite dangerous uh, uh, then with it. Um, so uh, another one certainly hasn't got a medical name yet, um, uh, but it is called in the media drunkorexia. So that's a combination of food restriction and alcohol abuse. Uh, and you can understand how those would go together. I'm abusing alcohol and I'm cutting out food. And that, of course, has all sorts of dangers. So a section on uh, uh, emerging eating disorder diagnoses, section on comorbidities. Eating disorders don't occur on their own. They uh, typically are comorbid with anxiety, depression, OCD, um, uh, and and indeed various forms of neurodiversity uh, as well. Uh, and then ethical and legal aspects, because there's all sorts of questions about confidentiality, about uh, capacity and, and use of the Mental Health Act, which has to be used in some cases. And then finally, one on acute emergency care of actual real medical emergencies that can occur really quite quickly. And, you know, people not realizing the danger um, that, that they're in. So that's the 13 sections. Within each section, it's all in bite-sized bits. And the people who've been using it already, I'm sure you, people like the fact you can dip in and out. So everything's in sort of five-minute bite-sized chunks. So uh, a five-minute video with uh, Lizzie and Janet talking. Um, uh, and then a five-minute case story, an animated case story to give some kind of wider um, Sometimes we remember the stories more than we remember the facts. You know, that's, that's the thing. So they can hook in us. Uh, and then a downloadable book bite, a document, which is a summary of that chapter uh, in just one or two pages. And then there's a quiz, an assessment of learning quiz. Uh, and if you get all the quizzes right, all the way, if you don't get them right, don't worry, you can take take the quizzes again until you do get them right. Um, uh, the multi-choice quizzes. Uh, and if you get all the quizzes right, when you get to the end of the course, then you get a personalized CPD certificate. Wonderful. Well, we should say here, because a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, how much does this cost, though? Come on, and he's going to hit us with the big bucks. But actually, <laughs> the access to the course is at the moment? It's 75. Well, it's it, if, if someone comes in from outside to it, it's 75 pounds. Yeah. We then do training packages uh, which we've actually just launched this week. So on uh, familymentalwealth.com slash health professionals and indeed on the on the e-learning uh, uh, platform as well, there's a brochure about training packages. And so what we can provide is for training organizations. If you're in a multidisciplinary team or perhaps in a sports club or whatever, and you say, well, actually, a whole bunch of us should do this, um, then we can we we can provide them in discounted uh, down. You get, you know, you buy a bulk quantity, about 10 or 20 or, or whatever, you get them a discounted price. But we can also then provide you with a 40-minute uh, video uh, actually presented by me, sadly, if you've not had enough of me already. Uh, uh, but a 40-minute video presented by me with lots and lots of clips of Lizzie and Janet um, which kind of gives a real kind of, you know, super express checkout uh, uh, of it. And you can have that and put that on your website, your, as long as it's not a public website, but a, you know, a learning website mm -hmm. uh, for your team. So that's all there on it. But equally, because you've been so wonderful in uh, helping us with uh, feedback and, you know, we're just delighted to do this and, other organizations have been helping us as we've just been launching it. Uh, there's a 50% off discount code. And um, I will uh, look, how high tech is this? Here it is on the, uh, <laughs> I will read it to you. We should, we should mention, first of all, you do need to be an STA member. So if you're a listener, here's yet another reason. Here's reason 365B 
on why to go on SDM. Okay. Yeah, there is a code. In that, case, in that case, I won't give you the code. You get the code through the STA. There's you a, give there's the code. It just means they have to kind of, uh, no, actually, so they yeah, they can get the code to us. Code. No, yeah. so there you go. Join the STA, and Matt <laughs> and others will send you this discount <laughs> code. Um, so the e-learning is £75. I'd give it away for free if I could. But we can't. We almost we've got are. So many, I thought it We got so many stakeholders that. involved in it, and so much work. As I mean, I can't tell you how much work's gone into creating it all. Um, but it's compared to a lot pounds. of the courses out there, it believe me, and I know a lot of courses. We get a lot of people asking us to talk about their courses, and you know, average three hundred and fifty, four hundred pounds, yeah. five hundred pounds, and yeah. on a topic which. I don't know. When I look at them, sometimes you you seem to be taking an area which has got so much misinformation as well, which we haven't really gone down that rabbit hole because you want to stay positive. There's got to be so much misinformation and books five times as thick as yours, which are just full of do this, do that, this will cure everything. And it's like such a difficult topic, nutrition. So, no, thank you. Yeah. So £75. It's cheaper half the price, as uh, uh, but uh, as the guy at the market would say. Uh, but you can actually have it at half the price with the discount code that you can get from STA, uh, and that will cut it down to uh, half that price. Giving away thirty-seven fifty. Look at that, like ten lattes. I mean, we have got some comments here from people from doing. I'm <laughs> conscious that we're sounding a bit like um, the shopping channel now, but we're not. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a good thing. We talk about good things. It's, we have to do it. Um, who was also mentioned? It. Let's have a look. I think Becky Carroll um, had a little thing here. Who said Becky Carroll says rumination disorder was new to me on the course. One of my clients opened up about her experience uh. with this. The fact that I had even heard of it gave her more confidence in me, which was nice. Brilliant! That therapeutic oh, alliance. Suddenly, the ears open. That is lovely. I'd like to capture that if I can. I don't know how. Can you? Can you? Uh, I will send you, you a screenshot. Get Becky, yeah, yeah can you? Send, or can Becky email it to us at contact at familymentalwealth.com. Uh, yeah, she's just on it now. Email contact at familymentalwealth.com. Uh, just with that little story, that those kind of stories are gold dust, because our concern is. Right, that there are so many healthcare professionals and allied health professionals who don't realize that they're coming across people with eating disorders and they need to know. I was speaking to a retired GP recently and he said, in all my years as a GP, I never met a single person with an eating disorder. And he looked at me and he could see what was on my face and he said, or do you think I might have missed them? Well, you think? (laughs) Yeah. We should have. We should. We should have. That's not uh, representing all GPs out there. There are a few good ones um, who've done their empathy course. But yeah, that's tricky. It is something. It's a taboo topic, isn't it? It's something which is brushed under the carpet, along with women's health, with men's health, nutrition. Is that taboo subject? No one likes talking about the very skinny person or the very fat person or the person disappearing to the toilet yeah. after the course. So. Yeah, and, and taboos create misinformation and and suffering, and it's and it's a shame. So, yeah, it is. So, and, anyway. and the good news is, all eating disorders they can be treated. You can recover, and self help is a significant part of that recovery journey. Support from other people is a significant part that you can recover. You don't have to live like this. Gary Benson has just put a message up here, which I'll read out in case anyone's listening to the podcast. Gary says, if any of our valued SDA members is suffering, thinks they may be suffering with an eating disorder or needs help in any way and would like to message me privately, I will fund the course for you. Okay, well, there we go. What a lovely bunch. Oh, dear. So, yeah. um, So the course. So they're going to get educated like Becky says, be able to to understand what certain conditions are, which will increase that therapeutic alliance. And then how about signposting? Is there is it easy to know who to turn who to take that person to? Or? Well the key person of course is the GP. That is mm. the way that our health service works over here. It's different in other countries, but uh, here everything goes through the GP. So the most important thing is to encourage them to open up and speak to their GP. Mm-hmm. The problem is that their GP may not have taken our e-learning course, may not have read the book, and um, uh, they may not actually be helpful, uh, un- understand. Um, I think of a, uh, a uh, 
a team member of ours actually whose son developed anorexia uh, when he was 13, 14 um, uh, because he wanted to be a footballer. He was keen on being a professional footballer and he worked re- he said i've got to lose weight uh, uh i mean he didn't even say this he was thinking this i need to lose weight i need to do more exercise and so he was restricting his food and exercising obsessively and obsessionally and he doesn't know when that desire to be fitter and slimmer turned into an unhealthy obsession but somehow quite quickly it it took him over. His parents were very concerned about him because of the rapid weight loss, which is a key indicator of, uh, of anorexia nervosa in particular. Um, and they took him to the GP, or the mum took him to the GP. And unfortunately, the GP said, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. He's, uh, he's growing into a fit, healthy young man. Uh, mums worry too much, don't they? And it wasn't many months after that that he was severely ill in hospital. Um, because they, you know, they can collapse very quickly. So hopefully the GP won't be like that. Hopefully the GP will understand. If the GP isn't uh, helpful, you can ask to see a different GP. That's okay. It's no problem doing that. Uh, and in many cases, the eating disorder service, it's different in different parts of the country, but in many places, the eating disor- disorder service will take external referrals so you can self-refer to it uh, to the eating disorder service either CAMS what's called Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service if you are under 18 or the Adult Eating Disorder Service uh, and you can self-refer but having said your recommendation there so it's just interesting because it's getting better definitely GPs are just becoming more educated it's great and realizing it's not like mental health or physical health. It's kind of a crossover, and it's yeah. But if so, if 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 the client or patient said, "I've been to the GP and they really weren't helpful," and blah blah blah, then you could highlight the fact where you can go to a different GP. You don't always have to yep. see the same GP. Maybe yep. and that might include it. What about? I'm interested in. Do you find in your experience that maybe the parents might be kind of blinking a little bit and don't want to consider that their child has got an eating oh, disorder? Yes. Does that happen? Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, and the evidence shows, uh, sorry, I'm an ex-research psychologist, so I'm always quoting. Oh, you go for it. I love it. You don't want me to actually start quoting the, pa- the academic papers. Oh, I, love, I love nothing more than reading academic papers. Anyway, um, the evidence shows that fathers in particular find it harder to recognize uh, uh, or all mental health, but particularly an eating disorder. Um, okay. And they find they te- there's a tendency to remain what we call cognitively detached, think, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's, it will pass. It's just a phase. It will pass. Um, uh, or to feel it's women's business. It's, you know, my wife can sort that out. It's, it's not for me. Um, and um, uh that's why you know when lizzie and i speak together on this we've done quite a lot of media stuff on this and they like the father daughter because it is uh unusual but but there's a lot that dads can do if they can recognize the signs and see what actually one can do to support and encourage and help that that person so with lizzie what happened was Lizzie was always a very determined person. You know, she was, I remember when she was a little kid and we were staying in a campsite and there are monkey bars. And uh, she said, Daddy, I'm going to learn the monkey bars. Pick me up. She was tiny little tot. She was, pick her up. And she goes, ah, and falls off. And I said, okay. And no, again, Daddy, again. And she went on and on until eventually she did it. Very determined person. And what happened with the eating disorder was the eating disorder twisted that determination to be self-destructive that she became more and more determined to lose weight as she was listening to that anorexic voice believing that she wasn't valuable that she didn't deserve eating that she felt so guilty and she she then that determination became destructive and part of her recovery journey through this family-based self-help was to help her to see that actually that determination she could turn around to fight the eating disorder 
and that actually she could overcome it and helping her to reacquaint herself with her life goals, what she wanted to do. She wanted to go to medical school. She wanted to be a doctor. She couldn't do that while she was starving her, her, herself um, and in a long stay inpatient unit. So actually that de- turning around that determination to be able to say, yeah, actually I can overcome this was key. But for me as a dad, I'll tell you a story. Sorry, Matt, I talk too much, don't I? No, 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 I'm just just bearing in mind, because we've got this video from Lizzie, also known as Dr. Elizabeth McNaught, but would it be opportune to bring that up? Yeah, let's show you the video, if it works. If it um, works. Now, if it doesn't work, I'll cut it out of the podcast and no one will ever know. I didn't want others to know how little I was eating or how much I was exercising, because I didn't want them to stop me. For other eating disorders, there might be other reasons for the secrecy. For bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder, of course, the overeating and the purging are very guilt-inducing behaviours. And so the secrecy is really not wanting to admit to these features. As health professionals, all of us look beneath the surface to explore what could be going on, whether there might be a treatable disorder. And that requires us to have at least a basic understanding of the various different eating disorders and how they present. We all eat and eating is such a core part and a core worry of people. Uh, So it's very difficult to distinguish a disorder from just normal variation. The DSM-5 and ICD-11 provide us with definitions of eating disorders. The DSM-5, for example, defines them as a persistent disturbance of eating or eating-related behaviour that results in the altered consumption or absorption of food and that significantly impairs physical health or psychosocial functioning. And then it details seven different types, which can be confusing even for specialists. When I started, we only had anorexia nervosa. And then bulimia nervosa entered the field in 79. And then it's not until 2000 that binge eating disorders started to be considered. And then more recently, we've got all these different nuances of eating disorders. There we go. Fantastic. I think that went down very well. I think everyone said they could hear it. We had a little bit of company to some deep breathing when you put your headset on, but that's fine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> It'll make it unique. Only we will have that copy, that version of it now. No, that's great. And that gives us a nice example of uh, that's actually a snippet from that's just a snip from the from the eating disorder from the e learning. Um uh so you can see how that's presented. There are um you know, these are five minute pieces. That that one's from the kind of general overview. Uh, uh, module um, and then there's an animated case story uh, and then a downloadable book bite and then an evaluation of learning. I think I'm conscious of time Matt and I'm just wondering whether it might be really helpful if when I, if, I, if I'm not showing you another uh, video but to talk about um, one of the things that we're very much focused on the uh, on this e-learning is how to identify signs? What might be the early signs to look out, uh, look out for? Um, and so, again, my wife is amazing at coming up with these uh, little mnemonics that stick in your in your mind. Because um, we all learn, you know, we know the ABC of um, emergency, you know, airways, breathing, circulation. We know the FAST of stroke, f- face, arms, speech, time. And we kind of thought, well, we just need something that people could hook on to actually be able to understand. Um, because, of course, in all the te- medical textbooks and, and the NICE guidelines, there are multiple signs uh, of eating disorders. And what my wife has done with my daughter is to is to condense these down into uh, an A, B, C, D, E. So if I briefly go through these uh, with you, A, absence. Are they absenting themselves from food-related behavior, uh, food-related uh, activities? Perhaps they're refusing to eat with other people, or I'll, I'll go and eat my meal in another room, or perhaps they're absenting themselves uh, after a meal, going off to the toilet quickly after a meal. So are they absenting themselves? B, body. Are they overly concerned about the size and shape of their body? More than the normal body dissatisfaction that we all experience, um, uh, 
but actually almost seeing themselves differently from how they really are and feeling that I've got more weight I've got to lose or, uh, or whatever. B, C, control. So absence, body, control. Control. Are they obsessively trying to be in control of food? Perhaps trying to control the, the timing and the content uh, of food. Uh, perhaps, I mean, it, it, it's bizarrely one of the signs sometimes for a teenager is they say, I'll go and do the shopping, mum. I want to do the shopping. And they come back with a whole load of frozen vegetables. Uh, and, you know, so uh, are they trying to control uh, uh, the food? Um, or are, conversely, are they out of control of food? Are they binging and feeling that they're not able to stop because there are these different types of eating disorders. Uh, D, diet. Have they radically changed their diet? Perhaps claiming to like food that they know, uh, claiming not to like food that they used to enjoy. Oh, I just, no, I don't like pasta anymore. Oh, I don't like cheese uh, anymore. Or are they changing their diet to eat food which is easy to purge? So they're eating a lot of yogurts and soft uh, puddings and things because they're easier to purge so I can binge on that and then uh, purge and E exercise are they exercising excessively and obsessionally and not following a proper exercise regime I mean one of the signs for instance might be of someone who's developing uh, um, anorexia nervosa in terms of their exercises Exercise, being obsessive about exercise, they can't even cope with missing uh, exercise anytime, they, and they, they have to exercise until they're totally and utterly exhausted, um, uh, or having a kind of a chaotic exercise rather than following a proper managed routine. So, so those are kind of some of the signs: absence, body control, diet, exercise, that might be indicators of the development uh, of an eating disorder. That sounds like, I mean, that's a poster that's either been created or is it something you guys, is it, is it something somebody could print out maybe? And uh, uh, yes. Well, the, the, it's, uh, it's in the book. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, we, if you wanted it as a poster, I mean, I actually often, right here it is in black and white. Um, uh, yes, not, it but it's got yeah. nice graphics. Mm -hmm. Um and um uh we um uh we could provide i mean i'd i'd love some organization to say actually we want to get this known everywhere the a b c d e you know mm -hmm. it's in the official textbook it's been used in all sorts of places um but there is no poster that could go around sports centers and and things yes. like that do you know Not what i mean yet. So, but no, that's the kind of classic thing. I always think that uh, because we know that soft tissue therapists are such an important point of call and, and they have got that responsibility and therapists listening today can save someone's life and the rest of their families if, if they signpost them correctly. And it's the kind of thing, little photocopies. So if somebody mentions one of these kind of taboo subjects, whether it's erectile dysfunction or um, pain during sex, just something which they can go, have a look at that. There's yeah. a contact number, a website you might want to have a look at, and then move on with the massage and not even mention yeah. it again. Because sometimes that's all you can do. You don't want to dwell yeah. on it. You just want to feed it, give it to them, goes in the handbag, and then they go home and they go, oh, you know what? This is really cool. And bam, you just potentially. Yeah. You yeah. Know, Except in, in the case of eating disorders, it will often be the people who need to see the ABCDE and not the patient or client themselves, yeah. but their family or friends. Mm. Um, yeah. And certainly in the medical world, they do a, a lot of what's called taking a collateral history, which is where you're asking family and friends and that actually, you know, parents might be, I don't quite understand what's going on with my son or daughter at the minute. Mm -hmm. But when they see that ABCDE, they say, oh, my goodness, I can understand yeah, yeah, yeah. what's going on. But the child may not be willing to to recognize it, you know, that actually... Yeah. Um, they're in what's technically called the pre-contemplation stage that they they won't even recognize it no no there's nothing wrong wrong with me partly through shame partly through they don't want to lose this friend anorexia uh, in their mind so a lot of it is really about supporting and affirming the parents or carers or other significant people in their life sports coaches 
you know, other people who could say, look, I am concerned about you, um, you know, and can we talk? And then you come back to that thing I said earlier about being curious, not furious. I love that. Inviting them to open up uh, and ask Mm -hmm. questions. Right, look, it's nine o'clock. Um, a massive important question here from Penny from Soma Sports Massage Therapy. Um, where can I find this book, please? <laughs> Normal right, the, places, Penny. The, 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 the best place to go, uh, well, it's Oxford University Press. Uh, but if you go to familymentalwealth.com slash health professionals, there you can see on the screen there, look, underneath the, the little t- typing fingers there, familymentalwealth.com slash health professionals. Then you've got, you can see the, the, the information about the, the, uh, the e-learning. You can link from there to the e-learning. You can uh, download the brochure about the uh, packages that we can provide for you as groups of, uh, of people. And also there's a link there to the actual book and that will take you in um to the um oup website um and you can buy it you can get it on amazon um, and uh, And if people are interested in the course the same thing via the website it's something they do in their own time if they're interested in that course so you just sign up and and make sure you contact the sta either gary at the sta.co.uk or matt at the sta.co.uk with your sta number and then we will give you the code um, and if you're not an STA member yet and you've been umming and ahhing for some strange reason, then this may be the yeah. shove you needed to do something good for you. Then you get a 50% discount. Yeah, it's going to be £35.50 instead of uh, yeah. Yeah, £75. So um, fantastic. And if people want to follow Family Mental Wealth, then you're on Twitter. Uh, well, we are. We active? Or? Yeah, no, we're not very active, no, because we're – We've spent the last four years basically as a research and development company because you've got to do a huge amount of research and development. Uh, so we're we're looking forward to the next stage where we actually become more of a marketing and delivery, uh, and then we'll be much more active. But if they go to um, uh, familymentalwealth.com, there's the links at the bottom. You can link up with us yep. on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. Or there's an email list. You can join an email list. Uh, uh, as well, I saw Lizzie. I, I've got to stop calling her Lizzie. I saw Dr. Yeah. Elizabeth McNaught. Uh, that's no, no, at, call Dr. Lizzie. E, yeah. at Dr. E. McNaught. Uh, yeah, I'll put in the show notes, but she seems quite active. I saw the ABCD E on there as well, so she's got yeah. some good posts if people are interested. Um, yeah. but um, and and Carol is on there as well, Carol yeah. Pollard, and yourself, Nick Pollard. So we'll put all these links in the show notes, but yeah, the best way to get information and sign up is go to the actual website. Uh, mental family mental wealth.com lovely amazing um thank you so much nick it's been an absolute pleasure um hearing all of this really such an important topic and a great way to open up this month on nutrition so really thank you so much for giving up your time and, and please pass on my thanks to to lizzie and yeah. carol and you know for, for like you said in, in the middle or even at the beginning of turning your suffering into something so positive for other people to stop them from going have to go through or to ease the pain of going through the same thing so yeah thank you yeah. so much yeah um yeah there is a segue for next week obviously the topic is nutrition next week my guest is going to be physiotherapist and researcher lucy gilbanks uh, discussing relative energy deficiency in sport which some of you or hopefully most of you will know as red s so obviously there's going to be a link there with male and particularly female athletes um, suffering potentially through some um, eating disorder. Um, so that will be next week, same time on the Sports Therapy Association News Channel at eight o'clock. Um, Gary has also said here, let me just sign up because Gary, I can feel it's like, let's do things for people mode. He said, uh, Gary has said, we can create a PDF poster, put it in the SDA resource folder in the members portal. There we go. I think that'd yeah. be great. We, we need to get some of these just easy access because it is, it is frightening for therapists as well. First time to just kind of, you know, who am I to give advice to this mother whose daughter is obviously suffering and then, you know, there's been crying involved. I'm going to take this bit of paper. You, you just don't want to get involved. You're afraid of saying this the wrong thing, but signposting is so important, isn't it, Nick? So I think therapists need it confidence. Is. It is. But signposting, but also developing the, the, the knowledge and skills also for you to be able 
to help other people. There's there's two other presentations we do, which we do in corporates, we do in schools. I'd love to do them in sports uh, organizations. Uh, one is called From Risk to Resilience, which is how to identify risk factors for mental ill health and help young people to develop resilience. Well, not just young people, but all people. Um, uh, and the other one is called uh, Through Recovery to Resilience. How do you help somebody who has been experiencing mental ill health, how do you help them to, to come through recovery and to um, develop a, a mentally healthy life? So, um, you know, again, that's on the website. If you go to familymentalwealth.com and look up under corporates or schools, you'll see those uh, presentations uh, that we do either as webinars or as um, live nothing quite like doing it live that's it is nice isn't it it's yeah great. especially with someone as learned as yourself you know it's been fantastic <laughs> and people uh, on youtube people in the live lounge comments are coming through penny said we'll start this month's topic thank you so much nick and matt um gary um founder of the sda has said matt nick thanks for a very informative edition of the web chat i'll be in touch with kate to see how sda can support fantastic gary sarah fluid has said yes thank you nick so yeah and thank you everyone who's joined us live and sending messages. It's been a great hour and a fantastic start to the month. So once again, thank you, Nick. If you can just hang around for two seconds whilst I close down the, close down the live lounge. Um, and then I'll say thanks to you personally. So, yeah, thanks, people who joined us. Like I say, if you want to join us next week, um, if the topic of nutrition is interesting to you, we will be having a whole hour on REDS, so um, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport, with my guest physiotherapist and researcher, Lucy Gill banks so do uh, join us for that if you listen to the podcast and you think i want to be there in the live lounge i want to join live on our fire some questions and mix with these wonderful people then just head to the sports therapy association youtube channel at eight o'clock simple as that but on behalf of uh, myself and nick pollard and everyone in the live lounge thanks so much for joining us and take care of each other you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.